Hello, and welcome to Actively Speaking. I'm your host, Steve Blyberg. Join us each episode as we discuss current issues concerning capital markets and portfolio management from the perspective of an active manager. Welcome back to uh, another episode of Actively Speaking, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome back a frequent podcast uh, visitor, Kevin Hebner, uh, Epic's Global Strategist. Welcome back, Kevin. Um, thanks, Steve. So uh, last year we did a we had a discussion on this podcast about cryptocurrencies, and uh, thought it would be a good time to revisit that because there's a lot there has been a lot going on in the world of cryptocurrencies and recent uh, weeks and months. Uh, not all of it good from the standpoint of a of an investor in crypto, but Kevin, why don't you start off by just kind of summarizing what's been going on lately uh, in the world of cryptocurrencies? Yeah, certainly it, it's, been, it's been a vicious year for crypto assets. It's been a rough year for lots of risk assets. Uh, but overall for crypto, the asset class is down, you know, roughly 50%. And uh, it, it's been pretty difficult. And, and it's raised a lot of questions about the future of the asset class, if parts of the asset class um, are going to disappear. And, and I, I think some of the discussion misses a few points. One is, if you look at the change, say, over the last three months or six months, it's down 40% over the last three months. Um, that's the sixth time that's happened in the last five years. And every time it happens, people come out and say, oh, my God, the asset class is terrible. It's going to disappear. Well, well, maybe it's true. Um, but it has stabilized over the last two weeks, and it has happened before. And, and sort of coincidentally, you know, in terms of fresh money coming in the asset class, uh, one of the biggest uh, Silicon Valley VC firms, uh, Anderson Horowitz, um, they just raised this week a $4.5 billion crypto fund. That's the largest uh, crypto fund that's been raised so far by any VC firm. Um, so it looks at least like the, the VC money hasn't been scared off by a pretty vicious start to the year for crypto. So why why is this you know why now I guess is my question why has this been happening? Well, I, I think you know with the Fed uh, clearly signaling you know they're they're tightening they're going to tighten a lot more uh, and they need to do that until um, the domestic demand rolls over the labor market weekend and we do get inflation prints looking like they're heading towards the target of two percent. So we're going to see the Fed continuing to tighten. And with that, we've seen financial conditions tighten the most, if you look at over the last three months or six months, by the most since the global financial crisis 15 years ago. So liquidity is drying up. It's hitting lots of risk assets. And certainly unprofitable speculative tech companies have taken a big hit. But um, crypto has been, been part of the, the damage from that. Uh, yeah, I, that's a common thing. I see people pointing out when people who are defenders of cryptocurrency uh, will respond to somebody who's kind of mocking them because of how much, you know, Bitcoin is down this year. And they point out how much some of these well-known tech companies are down this year uh, in response. So one of the other, I think, interesting uh, to me anyway, aspects of what's been going on recently is uh, this kind of perhaps a little known area to some people. I, everybody, I think by now has probably heard of Bitcoin. But there's this other area within the world of cryptocurrency called stable coins, uh, where uh, some of these coins are, uh, you know, they've come up with various mechanisms to try to keep them linked in some way to a currency like the U.S. dollar. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on with, with stable coins. So stable coins are, you know, it's a type of crypto 
Um, and it's, it's on a crypto platform and it, it's used a bit like bank deposits, a place to keep money that you want to fund, you know, say other type of crypto investments, or maybe you want to take your money, um, offline and into the real world, into a, a normal bank account or something like that. Staple coins have become important. Uh, initially there were what are called fiat backed, uh, stable coins. And, and these are a bit akin to unregulated money market funds. So they're backed, in the case of U.S. dollar stablecoin, by treasuries, U.S. dollar commercial paper, and, and things like that. And, and typically, well, you could say typically they're over-collateralized, but because they're unregulated, we don't really know exactly how they're collateralized. But, and this, this, this asset class started, say, 15 to 20 years ago, you know, fiat-backed stablecoins, and then it morphed into a new type of crypto-backed stablecoin. So instead of being backed by fiat dollars or um, euro, they're backed by other types of crypto, which could be uh, Bitcoin or, or other things. And normally they're over collateralized by about 70%. So if the crypto that's backing goes down by, you know, anything less than 70%, you still um, will get your, your dollar back. And then recently, um, really starting uh, two years ago, but it's um, become increasingly important. It's a third type of stable coin, and it's a bit of a variant on crypto back, but they call these algorithmic stable coins. <laughs> In reality, this is, it's a bit of alchemy going on here, trying to turn uh, lead into gold. But what a platform will do is they'll issue a stable coin, and it'll be backed by their own crypto. And uh, when people want to redeem the stable coin in U.S. dollars, then they will issue some of their their own crypto to pay for that. And, and this is fine as long as the market value of the crypto they're issuing exceeds the market value of the stable coin. But um, if things turn pear-shaped, <laughs> it goes down really quickly. And, and, and the big story in um, crypto over the last six weeks has been one of these particular uh, algorithmic stable coins blowing up. I remember that group from the 80s, the algorithmics. Uh, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, yeah, so talk about that. Yeah, it was it was Terra, and it was linked to something called Luna, which, you know, I only know this from reading this in the news. So, uh, you know, tell me what happened there. Yeah, so there's this platform, um, so Terra Farms, and it's based in, in South Korea. Uh, but they had uh, a stable coin called um, Terra, or it's, initials were UST, um, and it was backed by um, a crypto called Luna. And and for a long time, Luna was worth a lot more than the stablecoin, and so there wasn't a real problem. But then in April, when we saw a lot of risk assets selling off, a lot of cryptos declining, a um, number of them plummeting, uh, Luna was one of those, and all of a sudden, the market value of Luna was less than the market value of Terra, the stable coin that I was supposed to be collateralizing. Um, and when that point happened, um, everything fell apart. People realized that there really wasn't any collateral for Terra. And its value went from roughly um, a dollar, so it's, it's pegged to the U.S. dollar, to about 10 cents. And, and Luna went from a, a multi-billion dollar crypto to being essentially worthless very, very quickly. So the whole thing collapsed. And um, you know, it was very controversial um, for people following this because many people thought, you know, that you, you could defend a fiat-backed stablecoin and maybe even a crypto-backed stablecoin, 
But this algorithmic structure, um, it really looked like taking things a bit too far. And um, there still are a number of algorithmic coins that are out there, but it's difficult to see, at least in the most recent form, that these are going to be uh, an ongoing viable part of crypto space. Well, you know, this this all reminds me of actually a book I'm reading right now. It's it's called Ways and Means by Roger Lowenstein. And it's about the U.S. Civil War and, and uh, how the, the impact on the economy in both the North and the South and also how it was financed. You know, wars are expensive. Um, and, you know, what happened in the U.S. Civil War was both sides were eventually had to simply issue, you know, what in the North were called greenbacks. Uh, and, you know, it was just paper currency backed by nothing. You know, people at that time, I mean, there was no, we had no Federal Reserve, of course, at that time. Uh, there was no bank in the United States that had, had uh, Andrew Jackson had gotten rid of the bank in the United States. So money, uh, the way we know it today, didn't really exist. Uh, banks all around the country issued notes, but, uh, you know, they, people felt they were backed by, you know, gold that those banks held or whatever. And then the U.S. government just started issuing, you know, printing up currency and using it to, you know, to pay soldiers and to, uh, you know, pay all the expenses of war, all the material they had to buy. Uh, and of course, you know, the, these greenbacks started devaluing relative to you know, more traditional forms of money very quickly. And, and the discount got larger and larger as time went on because people wondered, well, what's behind this? And I, I think it's very analogous to what we see happening with some of these cryptocurrencies that are like the greenbacks kind of being created out of thin air. Uh, and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing you can do with it other than sell it to somebody else, hopefully for a higher price than you paid for it. But it's, it's not really, you know, one of the three traditional definitions of money is, you know, a medium of exchange. And uh, I think people held out some hope early on that, that cryptocurrencies were going to be used that way. But so far, it hasn't really been happening. So, you know, my question to you, I guess, after this digression is, you know, what are these cryptocurrencies? Are, are they, you know, do they still aspire to be money or are they something else at this point? Just a, you know, just an asset class on their own of some kind. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting, Steve. That, that background, and if you think about you know where crypto really started, cryptocurrencies is immediately after um, the global financial crisis. So the the, the paper that um, created Bitcoin, the two thousand nine paper by Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, it's a brilliant cryptography paper. But there was um, a lot of suspicion about the banking system, which had been bailed out and is on the verge of melting down. Um, there's a lot of suspicion about um, government involvement in the economy. And, and, and clearly, there's still a lot of concerns about the, the level of government in different parts of the economy, and particularly in the financial sector. Um, and at the same time, we've had, obviously, the growing uh, online world. So 2009 was right after um, the, the iPhone was released. And we've had this enormous growth in online shopping, gaming, social media. <laughs> we've had Facebook renaming themselves as Meta, um, VR, AR. You know, it's been the next big thing for a long time. Maybe that's going to become a big thing. But I think with, with those, those two big catalysts, uh, we've seen this move forward. And um, you're right, it, it, in terms of a medium exchange, online it can be used as a medium exchange, but in the real world, IRL, not so much. Unit of account, it's very volatile. It's hard to argue it's either a unit account or a store of value. And, and if you're thinking about holding crypto as part of an overall portfolio, 
uh, portfolio would have equities, bonds, credit, um, and some other types of alts, private equity, real estate, and so on. Is it a good diversifier? Well, well, <laughs> not really. Um, the the correlation between crypto and say equities, you know, over time is roughly zero, but it's roughly zero because half the time it's minus one and half the time it's plus one. And when markets fall fall apart like they've done recently, it moves to plus one. And right now, the uh, the correlation is very close to plus one. So, not a great um, diversifier. But I think it is increasingly being viewed as a sub asset class, maybe as part of alternatives, along with private equity, real estate, infrastructure, and hedge funds. And certainly, we have seen consistent flows into this space over the last five years. Um, you know, this remains to be seen. It's still early days, but at least it's it's feasible that it will develop that way. So, so we're recording, you know, toward the end of May, and uh, there was just a statement recently from about worrying uh, essentially about contagion risk from you know the the decline in crypto. You know, it seems like at the beginning it was kind of a world unto itself. I mean, that was kind of the whole point, as you say, people wanted. Uh, something that was detached from from traditional money, from government involvement. Uh, but it seems like over time, the links between crypto and the regular banking system have begun to grow. Uh, like we talked about some of those stable coins where the whole point was to be able to sort of link them to a, uh, you know, a, a, a traditional currency, which seems sort of ironic. But so what, what is the, is there a risk of contagion of any kind uh, to the to the rest of the financial system, from what happens in, in yeah, crypto. Yeah. So you know. So how likely is contagion into other asset classes? And my, my guess is that what happens in crypto stays in crypto. And and the way we've been thinking about this, if you look at the U.S., um, the net worth of U.S. households is about 150 trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. And that 150, the big buckets are stocks about 50 and real estate about 40. Um, crypto is probably less than one, uh, one trillion. It, it's, you know, there's no formal estimates because it's an unregulated asset class and it's not covered by any of the Fed data, but it's, it's almost certainly less than 1% of U.S. net wealth. And then if you think what's happened to markets year to date, our, our guess is that net wealth has declined by about 12 trillion. So it's a big number, but almost all of that is due to the decline in equity markets. And our guess is that the decline in crypto at maximum would be about half a trillion dollars. You know, that's a big number, but relative to overall net worth, it's pretty small. And in crypto, it's concentrated in a small number of people. And it could be that those people are feeling real pain. Uh, and certainly, if you look at Reddit forums and such, it certainly seems that there are people who are being forced to sell their homes, who are being referred to uh, hotlines for, um, a, you know, to help people to avoid self-harm and so on. So I think for some, a small number of people, it's been really rough. But overall, um, it looks like it's not going to have contagion into other asset classes. That, that would that would be my guess, but given given the absolute lack of data, it's it's um, it's in some sense it's hard to know. But looking at high level at the numbers that the Fed publishes, it looks like it's it's not de minimis, but it's too small to really have the sort of impact that we had 15 years ago from housing or 20 years ago from the tech collapse. 
Right. Well, but based on the, you know, those comments from the ECB to me are, well, and, and to others, I'm sure are indicative that, um, regulation is probably on the way. Is it, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's been discussed, um, for a long time, but in all likelihood, recent events will accelerate the, the regulation of, um, certainly stable coins, but also other types of crypto. Um, including the crypto exchanges, which themselves are, are lar- largely unregulated. And, and, and the focus seems to be on providing more reliable information to investors. And, and so, if, for example, with stablecoin, to know, you know, what exactly is the collateral, whether it's fiat back or crypto back or an algo, exactly how this works. And, and that's, that's very difficult. It's very opaque at this point. Um, also, if you look at the experience with Terra that we we're talking about, um, it certainly looks like there was, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I have to be careful how I say this, but, you know, one could argue that there has been self-dealing, there's been front-running, there's been various types of fraud. One could make that argument. Um, and so presumably, you know, regulation should try to address these issues, create transparency, and, and make the rules for how these things more sensible, and, and ultimately, this should be good for the the mainstream parts of the asset class, the big exchanges like Coinbase, and the um, big cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Tether, uh, and so on. But uh, my guess is we we will be seeing this, whether we actually will get legislation um, passed either in D.C. or Brussels. I think that's a different question, but there's certainly a lot of discussion about it. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, you know, that's it, it, a lot's going on in that world, and I'm sure there will be further developments in recent months, and maybe we'll do another, we'll probably have to do another podcast about this in a few months. But for now, uh, thanks for joining me. And folks, if you like this podcast, so if you do us a favor and leave us a, a good review, or at least give us a good rating on whatever platform you're you're listening to this on. And thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again soon. Remember to subscribe to Actively Speaking on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. You can find all of our previous episodes and additional content on our website, www.eipny.com. The information contained in this podcast is distributed for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but not guaranteed. The information is accurate as of the date submitted, but is subject to change. Any performance information referenced represents past performance and is not indicative of future returns. Any projections, targets, or estimates in this presentation are forward-looking statements and are based on EPIC's research, analysis, and assumptions made by EPIC. There can be no assurances that such projections, targets, or estimates will occur, and the actual results may be materially different. Other events which were not taken into account in formulating such projections, targets, or estimates may occur and may significantly affect the returns or performance of any accounts and or funds managed by EPIC. To the extent this podcast contains information about specific companies or securities, including whether they are profitable or not, they are being provided as a means of illustrating our investment thesis. Each security discussed has been selected solely for this purpose and has not been selected on the basis of performance or any performance-related criteria. Past references to specific companies or securities are not a complete list of securities selected for clients, and not all securities selected for clients in the past year were profitable. 
The securities discussed herein do not represent an entire portfolio and in the aggregate may only represent a small percentage of a client's holdings. Clients' portfolios are actively managed and securities discussed in this podcast may or may not be held in such portfolios at any given time.